Happy Friday. Welcome back to another episode of Latitude's In Session Podcast. Today, we've got a great show in store for you. We've got Ethan Eskew back on the line to talk about his Missouri update. As most of you know, Ethan moved from West Virginia to Missouri a couple months ago and basically went out there with zero intel and has been trying to find some good bucks. In the process, he's had some highs and lows. It's been a roller coaster ride, but uh, he's came out the other end of that finding a ton of good deer to chase. He's found over 20 shooter bucks on on public land in the state of Missouri so far. Uh, overall, he's running zero cameras. He is just relying on woodsmanship, so finding big tracks, finding specific food sources, finding browse sources, and overall, it's been a lot of fun to watch his journey so far. He's about three weeks out of season right now, so I'm excited to see how the season plays out. I think that he's going to have a great year in Missouri. Before we jump into today's show, one last thing. If you're looking for any last-minute hunting gear before season, head over to latitudeoutdoors.com. Use the discount code in session. That's one word, in session and that'll save you 20% off your order. You can also find that code in the description of this podcast. Thank you once again for listening to today's show. Let's get right into it. Today, we've got Ethan Eskew back on the line to go over a Missouri update. You moved out there two months ago now, Ethan. So uh, how have things been going for you so far? Hey, what's up, Jake? Yeah, moved out to Missouri, new state. It has been an interesting journey, to say the least. I know you've been on the receiving end of it, uh, you've gotten plenty of updates, both good and bad, consistently for me. So yeah, I moved out here, you know, kind of early to midsummer. Had absolutely no experience or knowledge of anything, and I had a, a kind of a predetermined plan. If you go back to one of our earlier episodes, I kind of outlined my plan and how I was going to attack a new area, a new state, new deer. And my plan has switched about 180 degrees since then. My original plan was to repeat the playbook that has worked uh, so well for me in the past, which was acquiring permission on small pieces and hunting overlooked public all within a very close proximity to my home. That is the playbook that I ran for a long time. You know, and I, I hunted away from home a lot too, but I, I consistently found my most success on the parcels that were clo were close. So I came out here, my plan was to replicate that, and that did not go very well in my favor. You know, getting permission was uh, a struggle to say the least, honestly. I've never encountered such a difficult area to do so. And, you know, I've heard before that it, it can be very difficult in some of the more prime areas of the Midwest. You know, I think everyone's heard that before. And, you know, I don't think getting permission is really easy anywhere. Um, it's always comes with some hurdles. But, you know, I asked dozens and dozens of people, knocked on doors, called people, talked to people, you know, it's like meet people and, oh, your brother owns this. It's like you talk to him and just basically every avenue I could for, for weeks. And I ended up landing two properties that then got taken away from me by, you know, either one of the siblings that also owned part of it and, and didn't want me there or, you know, one, which was an awesome little piece that has two giant bucks just next to it. You know, the wife told me yes, and then the husband found out, and he was like, no, and, you know, I just, I, I don't know, man. It's just, I, so here I am, uh, three weeks out from opener. I don't have permission on one acre of private for this season in Missouri. So my strategy has changed considerably. Once I saw how difficult it, it was going to be, I shifted my focus, and I said, you know what, instead of spending the next two months 
preseason working my tail off to get one or two tiny pieces because my plan was to have a lot of small pieces to bounce back and forth. Um, I switched focus and I said, I'm going to hunt public and now I have to identify what public I'm going to hunt. Uh, so I started going out, branching out, checking out different public. You know, I've kind of settled in on a few places, few pieces that I'm I'm going to kind of not bank my season on, but kind of bank my season on. And there's enough room and space. And I've, I've gathered some pretty good intel on those pieces. And I'll tell you what, man, I've, I've found some very typical, not so good stuff. You know, I don't care where you go. You're going to find places that are just hammered with pressure. But I've found some some areas that I uh, I, I think can pan out pretty well, especially with some of the deer I've seen. All I've been doing is scouting with my eyes and sign. You know, I have not received a single trail cam picture of a single deer this year, which is very odd for me. So everything I've been doing is glassing and reading sign, which right now is really just tracks or bumping deer, whether accidentally or intentionally. So yeah, that's kind of a high level update. I, I should just touch on with the, the permission thing came some uh, extreme frustration to say the least. Man, it was it was really, really getting to me for a while. And then uh, I kind of calmed myself down and said, you know what, I'm just going to switch directions. And uh, you know, everything I'm going to be hunting is going to be far away this year, which that's another really new thing for me. Multiple hours. My plan is literally to spend almost every weekend of season living out of my truck for the next three months. So that's going to be interesting. And with that comes some new preparation that I really haven't done before. I'm curious to see kind of the efficiency that I can draw from that. I don't think it's going to be as efficient as hunting close to home, but I would rather hunt very good ground often further away than hunt very bad ground that is super close to home personally just because you can't kill what's not there so jake do you have any any you know because you've been listening and getting updates from me for the last couple months do you have anything else that you know you want to ask or or touch on because you've been following along with my process out here the entire the entire way yeah i mean we're gonna dive into quite a few things so first thing i want to just dive into and go through is being on the receiving end of a lot of these conversations, seeing the roller coaster of of highs and lows and the emotions. And I feel like a lot of people can relate to this. I can relate to this a lot where chasing around whitetails can be a very frustrating thing at times. You know, there's obviously a lot of highs, but there's a lot of lows. And I think that one thing you and I have both focused on in some way, shape or form this year is trying to just stay level headed. And that's a that's a difficult thing to do at times. It really is. Uh, you know, you you get a piece of property and you get really excited about it and you're like, this is it. I got what I need. And then that property gets taken away once or twice. And you're like, man, I'm feeling I'm feeling down in the dumps right now. Dealing with that roller coaster before season even hits is a whole thing. You know, that's a very that's a very difficult process and a difficult thing to do is to just stay level headed. And I think that we both have work to do in this department, to be honest with you. Like I know that me personally, when I a lot of my out of state scouting trips this year, man, I would just get down. I'd be like, I'm not, I wasted a whole day out here. I stepped six inches from a rattlesnake. I didn't see anything like, but there's always a silver lining. You come out of the other side of that, as frustrating as that may have been with some sort of good data. And even if it's canceling out areas, but 
I think the biggest thing is regardless of that roller coaster of emotions, just keeping the feet moving and pushing forward with your process is what's led you to be where you're at now. And where you're at now is you're at the point where, I mean, I feel extremely confident for you because I get to see these photos of deer you're glassing all the time or, you know, big tracks you're finding or anything else. And I just know that you have found the deer you need to find to have a good season. And now you get to hunt them. Like you've located the deer, which in my opinion, locating a target buck in a huntable area is the most difficult part of the equation for me. Like if I can locate a deer to go after, I feel like I'm going to figure out a way to kill that deer or I'm going to chase him until I have no days left to chase him. So that location, like you've completed that part of the task. You know, I would say that you have absolutely surpassed all expectations that you and I had when you moved out there by a long shot. And so I don't, I don't think that that's something that should be overlooked by any means. Like you went out, yeah, you had some highs and lows. And we had some conversations where it was like, I mean, a couple of those conversations were, I'm just going to lay it out there. It was like, hey, man, I'm getting my butt kicked. I'm done scouting. And I'm just going to go walk around the woods with my bow come September 15th. Like, so to yeah. go from to go from that, you know, 30 days ago to, hey, man, I just found a booner. And, you know, I just found a booner to chase after. I mean, talk about a, a story unfolding, but the you deserve it because you kept your feet moving. That's the number one thing with this scouting, like to locate good deer is just keeping the feet moving. Like if you can do that, you are going to force that success. And it might not be immediate. It might take time and it might be a long road, but I, I am personally very proud of the fact that you went out there and you've, I mean, within 90 days of being in the state of Missouri, you've located world-class animals. And I know that I'm probably, that's about all I'm going to touch on is about that far. But I just like the sneak peek that Ethan Eskew has located world-class animals that he's never been able to chase before. And he is a pretty efficient hunter when he gets a deer in his sights. So I'm really excited, man. Um, I want to, I want to deep dive into a bunch of things here. The no trail camera strategy is something I want to dive into. I want to dive into some of these tracks that you're finding and how you're picking out areas that you want to look for tracks and then glassing as well. So let's jump into glassing first, because I feel like that's your number one strategy for locating these deer. So like, what's your thought process with glassing out there? Man, I think it has evolved at an alarming rate, but it's, it's also similar to what I found where I'm from. It kind of took me and, and I'm not saying at all that I have it figured out out here because everything out here is still new to me. So I don't have it figured out even remotely. But I have figured it out a lot more now than I did in late June, per se. One thing that I came into out here immediately was to glass with an open mind. And this is something that I feel so many Midwestern guys overlook because I come from West Virginia. We don't have ag. We don't have any ag. So I never glassed ag. Um, I glassed hayfields or pipelines or power lines or someone's backyard. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I've glassed all this oddball stuff and I've tried to translate that to out here. And don't get me wrong, I, I've found a lot of deer and some big deer in bean fields, which that's what everyone thinks of, right? Summer glassing, bean fields. It's like glassing equals bean fields. Well, yeah, a lot of times it does, but I have glassed some very good deer in hay fields 
and I've glassed some very good deer in power lines, and I've glassed big deer just in brush fields or in, you know, just like big expanses of native browse. You know, like some of it was maybe uh, a crop field 10 or 15 years ago or something like that. Now it's grown up and you can see that buck rise out of his bed and feed around in that stuff. And I just feel like those deer are not getting the attention that the crop field deer are this time of year. This gets said a lot, but if you can glass crop fields that are not easily visible from a road, that makes a world of difference. And don't get me wrong, I've seen some big deer right off the road, public and private, but I have found a better ratio of success finding big deer in unseen fields, both crops and natural browse and power lines. And so that's, I don't know, man, that's a big thing is just kind of having an open mind and not only focusing on beans. And I would say the other thing is just trusting my gut. I sent you pictures of some big deer earlier this summer. This piece of land got cleared out for a housing development. And it's like, okay, I mean, there's construct, it's literally a construction zone, but there's a lot of new growth bordering mature timber and there's big deer feeding in that right now. So it's like weird stuff, but I've just kind of been able to develop a sixth sense on where I'll find good deer sometimes. I, at least I was able to do that where I'm from and I'm, I'm trying to apply that to here. And sometimes it, the boxes, you know, check out and sometimes they don't. So I'm kind of redialing in that gut feeling as to where to look. It is developing quickly is, is kind of what I'm getting at out here. So now I feel like if you were to just drop me somewhere random, you know, in a portion of the state that I haven't been to, and I've been quite around a lot of the state or put me in a different state that has similar terrain and, and habitat, I'm not going to lie. I feel like glassing big deer here is super easy. And I don't want to say that as like a, you know, because it's not, you know, glassing a deer doesn't equal killing a deer and killing a deer is never easy. But glassing big deer here to me coming from West Virginia is really easy. Um, I mean, it, it took a little bit of a learning curve, but I feel like I can go out pretty much any night now and find a big deer. Um, any night or like a weekend trip, I'll, I'll find a big deer somewhere glassing. And then the next part, the killing part, you know, I'll see how my learning curve develops on that over the next couple months, but <laughs> I have a feeling that one's not going to be as easy to learn. But yeah, glassing, I think that's my biggest tip is to just not be restricted to bean fields, especially don't be restricted to bean fields from the car. So, so as far as glassing, man, I mean, you found dozens of shooter bucks, in my opinion, like you, you have found a ton of good bucks. And I think that your unique approach is just, I can take so much away from that as a hunter and as somebody that's trying to locate deer. Like the majority of the glassing I do is just bean fields. It is, it's just bean fields. And I tend to drive by a lot of hay fields or CRP fields or power lines or things like that. And the fact that you had to cut your teeth glassing unusual circumstances has just turned you into such a good glasser. And that's so overlooked. Like people just, I think your Western hunting helps with this too, but it's, it's so overlooked that like everybody just assumes glass bean fields. But when you can just take a, like dive further into that, like I've had conversations with guys that are like, oh, well, I can't glass because I don't have any fields around. I'm like, well, neither did my buddy Ethan. He glasses a ton because he like, he'll glass a clear cut or a power line. They're like, you know, I had a, I did a podcast uh, with a guy that was from the South and he was bringing that up. And I was like, you know what? You could glass that power line. And he's like, yeah, that's a really good idea. And I was like, yeah, my buddy Ethan taught me that. Like, that's not my thing. But I just think that that unusual glassing technique that you have of just like, 
having a gut instinct to go check certain areas that you just think a big buck's going to hide out. Like I can think of, I was telling you at the beginning of the year, I was like, man, I've been struggling glassing a lot this year. And you asked me like what I've been glassing. And I was like, well, mainly bean fields. And you're like, yeah, you know, I really focus on overlooked stuff. And I thought about that and I took it to heart and I went out and I glassed the next day and I was in some overlooked stuff trying to just like be a little different. And sure enough, I glassed up a really nice buck. And I was like, wow, there's something to that. And so little by little, I'm starting to evolve, but it's going to be a process. Like I could be so much better at it. I can think of so many areas that I could do more glassing and I, it's just going to, it's going to be a process. It's going to take time. I don't feel like that's something that you just learn overnight. Like you've, you know, you've been glassing the hills of the mountains really of West Virginia, cutting your teeth on pretty poor glassing land your whole life. And it's just, I just hope that if anybody can take anything away from that, they can just relate to their situation and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to start glassing things that aren't as obvious because the obvious stuff is, yeah, it might hold some good deer, but it's also probably going to receive the most amount of pressure. And you could probably find deer that are just hiding out that might be of an older age class too. Because I do think that the biggest bucks tend to not be, you know, out in the very obvious fields very often. And if they are, it's like right at last light in a corner where it's hard to hard to even pick up what they are. Like I can think of a buck that I really can't even tell you how many times he has, even with a spotter, because it's so dark when he comes out. But he's got a big frame. Like he's a big frame deer. I just don't know what's what's going on besides that. The other thing I want to get into with the glassing is like, let's just get into some of your boots in the ground stuff. And you've taken an approach of boots on the ground slash glassing in some of these areas. So your boots on the ground approach, you went out and you've scouted quite a bit, just boots on the ground during the summer, you know, battling the ticks and everything else going on. So as far as that goes, what things have you been keying in on to say, hey, I want to go in here and I just want to put boots on the ground, scout around, see what I can come up with. I've done more more boots on the ground summer scouting this year than I've ever done in in a summer. I wish I had a tick count going. I think I would be over 10 million at this point. But yeah, the ticks are terrible out here, especially the seed ticks. Um, you know, ticks and spiders and just the heat. I've been in the woods a lot in triple digit days with high humidity, spiders, ticks. I mean, it it is literally miserable. Like I'm not going to lie, it's I do not want to be out there at all, but, you know, I would rather go through that misery than the misery of coming to season unprepared. So I just kind of forced myself to do it. I said at the beginning of the summer, I would like to kind of log how many days I spent and break it down. Like how many days did I glass? How many days did I boots on the ground? I haven't done any of that, which is not really surprising, but it's, it's been probably, probably five days a week. I've done something, which is quite a bit. And recently it's been pretty much every day. But when I'm going boots on the ground scouting, basically what I'm doing right now, it depends on if I'm looking for an early season or a rut scenario. And I'm primarily focusing on early season scenarios right now because my mentality is if I can plan for the early season now, then I can hopefully hunt successfully early season and then I can scout very, very quickly in season for that pre-rut rut. And, and kind of figure out what's actually going on right here, right now. Whereas like right now, you know, you don't have the rubs. Uh, you don't have the as many or as easily visible scrapes. Now I've, you know, found some primary scrape areas which have big deer using them right now, according to the tracks. But basically I'm looking for food is the number one thing. I'm looking for what are they eating? So obviously they're gonna be eating beans. I'm looking for white oaks. I'm looking for isolated white oaks. I found some really big stands of white oaks 
I'm sure there's going to be deer feeding there, but they're going to be harder to kill. So I am, I am intentionally looking for areas with isolated oaks and purposely looking for white oaks. Because again, this is, I am looking early season. So I'm trying to identify beans, isolated white oaks, and good natural browse. So then I'll just go into the area, check it out. Most areas I go into looking for oaks, I either don't find them. I find a big stand of them, which is just too big for me to really feel super effective to hunt. Or I find them that are not producing. Like I might find this, like I found this one oak tree, white oak, massive. Maybe one of the biggest white oaks I've ever seen in my life in the middle of a thicket. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. And it didn't have a single acorn on it. And I'm just like, oh man. Like, But I have found a couple spots with isolated mature white oaks that are absolutely loaded. And I think they're going to be very well, very good producers, you know, for deer sightings and, and encounters. Bean fields, I'm looking for tracks around the edges of the fields. I have found a direct correlation with if I find a big track, one big track, I have confirmed on every field that I found a big track on visually a big deer in. So that's super exciting. If I don't see any big tracks, I will kind of make it a a B or C priority to glass that field because the ground is just so dry out here with this drought right now, it's hard to find tracks, but it's still doable. Like the one field I found a track all you could see were the tips of the hooves, just the tips. Like it looked like two little triangles. And when I say little triangles, I'm talking like a quarter inch, like the very, very tip of the hoof in that hard dirt. But I put my hand down. I'm like, man, that's like a four and a half finger wide split at least. And I'm like, that's got to be a deer track. And there is a huge buck using that field. So sometimes you don't get those perfect imprints. You know, this like, oh, wow, this is a, I can see everything. I can see the whole track. Oh, there's a chip out of that side. Here's the dew claws. Like, here's how wide it is in the mud. Like, I love those and I found a lot of those. But sometimes, like this example I just said, it is literally the last quarter inch of the hoof going into the hard dirt. You know, I'm starting to see such a correlation out here of big track equals big buck. And where I'm from, we just didn't have that because you might have an old deer with very bad genetics. It just wasn't a deer I wanted to target. The difference out here is it seems like if you find a really big track, there's a 90 some percent chance it's going to be a deer I want to shoot. So looking for tracks. I'm also looking at these bean fields and especially in the last week, you can tell which ones are going to be yellow uh, early. Uh, you can you can start to tell which ones are going to be yellow early. You can tell which areas of certain fields are going to stay green longer than other areas. And, some, and I, I like, like if I see a big deer coming out in a certain area of a field, and that is the area that I'm predicting is going to stay green longer. They line up. I like that. What I don't like is when, the say, a buck's coming out on the west end of a field, and it looks like the northeast corner is the, the one that's going to stay green. So now I'm like, is that buck still going to come out there and cross the field to get to those green beans? Probably not. Maybe. I don't know. Is he going to, you know, it just throws a big variable in there. So I'm trying to find areas that it lines up. I'm also finding certain fields that have additional good browse around them. Like maybe there's some staging oaks 
just before the field. I might not, you know, you might not even want to target the field. You probably want to target the staging oaks before the field, but that's an additional check mark to me versus a field a couple hundred yards away that doesn't have any additional good food around it. It might be oaks around it. I found persimmons around some fields. I found crab apples, uh, wild plum, just good um, natural browse in some areas. So I'm kind of putting all this together in this big mental matrix of all these different spots, you know, for hours away. And it's just, it's getting kind of complicated in my head because I've just, I've put so much time into finding so many different areas and so many different deer. At this point, it's starting to get kind of complicated. I'm, I'm glad that I only have a couple more days of this, but I'm going to Colorado on a mule deer hunt next week and I'm not going to get back until a couple days before um, Missouri opens so my scouting is coming to an end in about four or five days and then it's pretty much time to hunt so yeah so the, you know boots on the ground I'm, I'm really just looking for the food sources I'm finding the best food sources I'm finding where multiple food sources line up I'm finding where the bucks are right now obviously some of them might stay some of most of them will probably shift I've already seen bucks shift I've seen bucks that I watched for two months shift last week I've seen bucks show up in new areas that weren't there before so the shifts are starting to occur and not every buck will shift but most will so man i've just been spending a lot of time this year trying to get my thumb on the pulse of areas that are far away i don't want to look at how much gas i've burned in the last two months because it's embarrassing the woodsmanship approach that you've had like you didn't once mention you know i was looking for an area to hang a trail cam like everything you're doing is just in the moment you're just doing everything you can to just be out there and just formulate this plan in your head like you're really not even documenting much like it's like you said it's a mental matrix right and that's just that's such an awesome approach and the fact that you've had I'm not going to say success yet, but you found a ton of giant deer. It's blowing my mind, to be honest with you. Like, it's unbelievable to me. But, you know, I knew that I had a really good feeling you were going to be on top tier bucks going out there because you were just going to find your own path. And you found your own path that's working for you. The thing that I relate to a lot there is like the way that you're going about finding these food sources. I do the same thing where if I'm scouting around in the woods, like I'm literally trying to identify any single food source that I can. Like I slow way down, try to just identify everything I can. I take pictures, I log it, I'll send pictures to buddies to, hey, what is this? You know, you, you've done that to me quite a few times as well. Like we do that back and forth. I think that's really important. I think that just like making sure that you're not overlooking anything and obviously like you're stacking these food sources. If I find a big deer, hopefully it's in an area where I'm stacking food sources so I know that he's not going to travel like miles to to shift. Like if he's on a bean field, but behind the bean field, you have some really good native browse. You have a, let's say a standing cornfield. You have white oaks. You've got some burr oaks. You have all these things that are just coming together. Well, the chances of that deer or a good deer being nearby is very high. But if you're finding a deer where the bean field's the only food source and he's got to shift a mile back to oaks, well, that makes it a lot more difficult. That's a lot more complicated. So stacking factors is so important. I just think you've done such a good job of that. And that's, in my opinion, that's why you're finding these big groups. Like you told me like last week, one of the bachelor groups, like 15 bucks, right? It's like this huge group of bucks. And that's part of the reason that you're finding these big giant groups of bucks is because there's so much food. There's so many factors pushing these deer into these areas. And I just know that whether it's early season or the rut or whatever it may be, as long as there's not like a crazy amount of pressure, 
you're going to be close to being in the game on a deer. It's going to take like minor adjustments. Like you're, you're, you're putting all this work in on a macro level to put you in the correct spot. And then as season progresses, you can make your micro adjustments to just make sure that you're right on top of where you need to be. And I think you've done a really good job of that. And, you know, the other thing too is identifying all these food sources that you can continue to check up on throughout the year. Like you can check on some of the burrs you've sent me. You can check on the whites. You know, when the whites dry, or are they going to shift to native brows or reds or burrs like chinkapins? Where, where are these deer going? And you have all that figured out. So just to see that process unfold, like I, I just feel like I've, I've seen you just take on such a woodsmanship approach this year. And I just respect that to such a level because it's, you're just like going back to the roots of bow hunting. You're just truly going back to the roots, but you're trying to do it on a really high level deer. I don't want to get detailed with the exact spot at all, but I want to get into some of your river bottom strategy a little bit on how you've identified some bucks. And the thing that is really impressive here to me is I'm sitting at home one day, I'm probably working on a podcast and you start sending me photos, real time photos of you scouting around a piece of land. And like you're, you're taking photos of, I'm talking world-class bucks on public land browsing and you're standing like a hundred sub hundred yards from a lot of these deer so that that to me blew my mind because when i scout i feel like i'm a like a baby elephant going through the woods and i'm like rolling over logs and i'm tripping and falling down the the hill and making noise and i'm talking and so i just want to i want to just pick your brain on your approach because i have never scouted like that and just walked up on a world-class buck just browsing that had no idea that i existed so like how do you even get in that position i think it depends on the exact scenario because sometimes i will kind of stalk into a location intentionally trying to be super sneaky and maybe just get a glimpse of something and then back out and then other times i will intentionally be a full-grown elephant because I am intentionally trying to bump deer. Because sometimes, especially when you're in extremely high stem count stuff that's in that four to five-ish feet tall range, if you're super quiet and it's the middle of the day and those bucks are kind of nodding off, you know, they're kind of drowsy, you know, sometimes you can walk like 25 yards by them and they'll just They'll kind of wake up and they'll hear you and they'll just kind of sit tight. But sometimes I'll go into an area and I'm like, I'm going to be really loud on purpose because I don't want to like freak this buck out too much. I want him to jump up and then run out there so I can see what he is. And then I'm going to stand still. And then when he walks away, I'm just going to back out. So I've done both. And man, I've been, I have not went into a single day out here yet that I'm like trying to hunt. But if if it was season, I mean, there's multiple big deer that I could have shot with my bow already. So and, and I think I think a lot of that has just come by luck, but it's just a varied approach. You know, I'll show up to an area and I'll just kind of look at it like, do I want to sneak in? If I, I think if it's better visibility, I sneak in because there's a chance of seeing him and then backing out without him ever even knowing I was there. But if I think there's a good chance that I'm going to not see him or miss him or walk by him, and then here comes Elephant Ethan trying to bump the deer on purpose because I'm trying to see what he is. Man, I found some big deer doing that i mean that's kind of my approach to trying to do what you're referencing here is like seeing them feed you know sometimes i'll sneak in and i'll just catch them feeding or if you bump them being an elephant and your wind is in your favor a lot of times they will jump up and run 50 100 yards sometimes they run out of sight and you just get a glimpse of them running and you're like oh that's a big deer sometimes they stop you know i had a 
a world-class deer stop at like 70 yards from me and just look around and 10 minutes I just froze and then he just started browsing. You sent me pictures of that one. I was like, what is happening? How is that? Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's one of those deer that's like, I was looking at it and I'm like, man, there's a, a big bush like 25 yards in front of me and he's got his head down and three feet of weeds browsing. And I'm like, I could get to that bush and I'd have him at like 45, 50 yards and just crack it'd be pretty easy to kill him but you know i don't think that's necessarily a strategy i would purposely try to employ in season but as far as finding bucks pre-season because i i have to find them i have to get the intel it's like the worst thing i could do right now is just stay out of there because i don't want to put pressure on the deer because i would a million times over rather go hunt a deer that i know about and know where he lives and and have some information on him that has been pressured a time or two than to just go into an area blind a million times over i would rather do that so i've been like extremely aggressive i mean i've bumped so many deer this summer i have bumped so many bucks out of their beds or bumped deer off food sources or and i'm not going to the same spot day after day doing that i'm this is a new spot almost every time but i've gained so much intel on so many different deer on so many different pieces of land it just depends sometimes you want to go in sneaky and sometimes you want to go in purposely not sneaky that's that's kind of how i look at it and it's really a, a scenario by scenario basis i mean overall would you say that when you're trying to do that that you have the wind in your face like you're scouting this area with the wind in your face so you can get closer to them is that fair to say if my intention is to lay eyes on the deer 100 percent. because if i sneak in obviously you want the wind in your face if you're going in like a bull in a china shop you want the wind in your face because you could be 300 yards away and they smell you and get up and leave before you even get in there and you know i think that has probably happened to me before if my goal is to lay eyes on the deer, then yes, always wind and face. If my goal is to check out an area, maybe I'm looking at a map and I'm thinking, I think there's a couple oak trees in this spot. I don't really care. I'm just blazing in there, get there, look around. Nope, no no acorns. Or yes, this place is loaded, getting out. It's like, I'm not really trying to find a deer. I'm trying to find a spot it's different, you know, and it's like, I don't really care. You know, I don't care if there's a deer nearby and that it just depends on a lot of things. But, you know, sometimes I'm going into spot check and sometimes I'm going into deer check. And if it's a deer check, then it's always wind and face. I'm similar here. And then I defer a little bit as well. I can think of times that I've came up over a ridge and intentionally wind bumped a deer, just wind bumped a bedding area and they run down the bottom and I can glass them. I've wind bumped bedding areas to go check a food source. I'll wind bump a bedding area, let's say late summer and hear the deer run off. And then I just tear through that area looking for the intel I need. So it just depends on the terrain for me out here. It's it's just so interesting, man, because you're getting so close to these deer. You're literally watching them. It's the craziest thing to me. It's just, it's very impressive. As far as finding tracks, I know you've been looking at tracks on field edges a lot. And I really like what you said about just finding like the, the tips of the tracks. And, you know, I think about being in the hills right now. Yesterday, I was on a ridge that the red oaks are dropping like crazy. And there's some really good feeding sign. But if you've ever been like up on a hillside, that's when it's dry late summer, you're not going to find a lot of tracks. But what I did like start catching on to is those little tiny scuff marks from the front of their hooves. 
coming down some of these trails. It's far from a full track, but it's giving me a pretty good gauge of some of the deer in the area. Like I can look at that and say, okay, that's, you know, these two scuff marks from the front of the hooves are a three finger track, or you can, you know, with those, it seems to be easier where I'm like, okay, I can clearly see that that's a doe track. Aside from field edges, is there anywhere else you're looking for tracks? Like, uh, I know Justin Wright, for example, from out in Missouri, he spends a lot of time in creek or river bottoms looking for tracks, like in wetter areas that are just going to you know, be more conducive for spot checking tracks. Yeah, I've, I've definitely employed that. The drought we're in out here, a lot of these areas are super dry and I've intentionally, you know, if there's a pond over here, I'm going to go look around the edge of this pond or if there's a creek bottom. Now, honestly, most of the creeks are dry right now, the vast majority of them, but you might still get kind of a, that just that a little bit wetter mud. There might not be any water, but there's some mud and I will just run over there and look through there and um, man you can usually I mean I've never utilized tracks the way that I am out here this year and and honestly I feel like I can go into an area and tell you if there's a big deer there or not in an hour just by looking at the ground and look for tracks and I might miss a track and there might be a big deer there but a lot of the places I'm going into is for a certain reason with the hunch that there is a big deer in there or in the area and I find a big track and I'm like, boom, you know, confirmed. Something that I've evolved in my head is it just takes one track. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, when I when I really started diving into this this year, I wanted to get into an area and find big tracks everywhere. I don't know why. It doesn't even make sense when I when I say it or when I think about it. But mentally, I wanted to say big track, big track, big track. And I, I don't know why that is. I don't know if it was like a subconscious, he's here a lot thing. I don't know. But now if I go into an area, because I've realized there's so few areas that these deer will actually leave a readable track because it's so dry, I can just find one track. And, and in, what I found is I'll find one track and I'll look around, I don't find any other tracks and I'll go back and I'll I will do some glassing in the area, maybe in a nearby field or, you know, in some overgrown stuff. And there's a batso group and there's two or three bucks that are actually mature and shooters. And it's, I don't know which one left that track, but that track is what keyed me into being like, okay, there's something good here. And then I'll go back and revisit it. I mean, this literally just happened to me a couple of days ago. I found a track and it's like, okay, I need to come back and, and look here. I actually found multiple of the same deer's track. Uh, it has a, had an identifying feature. And I found multiple of that same deer and I found no other real big tracks. I went back in and looked and there's two shooters in there. So I don't know if I just missed the other buck's track or if the other buck has a, a small track, like a, a an oddly small track. I'm guessing I just missed it. Man, the tracks have just been huge for me this year. And like the field edges is kind of what everyone kind of talks about. Or, or and, and honestly, it's hard to find them on the field edge here because what I'm finding, especially like if you're looking at a bean field, the very edges of these fields where it kind of gets sparse, like the beans start to get sparse that last like 10 feet. Well, the ground is so dry because the sun can penetrate between the bean plants. It's like chalk dry. So what I'll actually do is I'll go around the edge and I will kind of look in the thick growth along the edge of the field and I'll say there's a deer trail. And then I'll walk out into the beans where it gets thick. Now, if you separate the tops of the beans and you look underneath the beans, the ground's a lot darker because those beans create a micro canopy that actually holds moisture in there. So I'll walk out and I'll, I'm like, I'm out there like parting beans, you know, looking under the plants and it's like, ah, there's the track. You know, you can't see it on the edge of the field because it's like, it's chalk. It's so dry. But if you go out and part those tall beans, you can look underneath. And again, it only takes one to know that he's there. So 
That's another strategy I've been employing. I will purposely look for wet areas, like I said, ponds, creek bottoms, river bottoms, you know, edges of marshes, anything that's wet. One thing is the deer, I think, are kind of attracted to wet areas right now just for water to drink. Um, But the other thing is like, man, if I can just find a track to know he's there, that's led me to so many good deer this year. I've been really, really taking advantage of the tracks. You can deep dive into that so much too. Like everybody says they go look at tracks and I, w- I was this guy for a long time where I would just run a field edge and if it wasn't right on the edge, well, I'm out immediately as opposed to going down through the individual lanes or going back in the thick stuff a little bit or where there's a creek crossing and uh, secluded ponds are a huge thing here too. Like if I can find any, you know, especially in the strip mine land, if I can find like a non-toxic water source that actually has life in it, which is, believe it or not, pretty hard to come by it seems, but if I can find that and there's a lot of deer tracks around it or uh, even like natural springs, like I found some natural springs out here that are in the hills that just kind of draw deer when it's hot. You know, we're in the middle of a heat wave. It's like, I don't know, 94 degrees outside or something right now. And those deer want water. And I just find a lot of tracks around those little micro features. The cool thing about that is you can mark a lot of those and you can just keep going back to them. But yeah, I mean, overall, I think that you've done an outstanding job of locating tracks. You've taught me a ton this year. Like even in this podcast, there's just so many good takeaways about tracks. And the thing is, is people still have time to do that. You know, even into season, like it's, it's so valuable throughout the season like you have a cornfield well go check in between the rows for tracks you know run around the edge of it it's just i i completely agree with you too where it only takes one track i feel the same way especially like in the hills it's hard to come by some of those tracks unless you're like in the creek crossings or down low or you're catching them because it's so dry it's just hard to find them so it's just trying to pick up on these little tiny places that they've been and just like you said, it only takes one. One track tells you that there's a big deer in that area, a mature buck in that area. Who knows what his headgear looks like, but it's a really good starting point. I know that I've started to utilize that a lot more and it's led me to be in the right area quite a bit. So pretty much all I got, man. That's a that's a heck of an update. I feel like you're in the game for sure. How do you feel? Do you feel confident going into season? I feel like I have found an astonishing amount of good deer, way beyond what I ever expected, honestly. It's truly eye-opening. You know, moving here from West Virginia, where I would spend months to find a couple deer that I would shoot. You know, I've seen, I, I, I literally don't even have a count of how many deer I've seen out here that I would shoot. So that part has me extremely excited. Maybe not confident, but excited because it is target-rich. And I'm not going after the top 5% of bucks out here. You know, I want to shoot a good deer. I'm just not intimate with the ground or the land yet or the deer themselves to to target the top 5%. So it's a target-rich environment, which has me extremely excited. My confidence is maybe not fulfilled just due to the fact that it is all new. You know this about me on a personal level because of our close friendship that I'm typically never the overconfident guy. I'm typically always the reserved confidence um, half of, of our duo. And, you know, that's definitely embodied this year. Like I have literally found dozens of shooters on public and the amount of shooters I've seen on private, I, I don't even know. And I'm not confident at all, which sounds so strange, but you know, I don't know, man. I, I don't really like the word confidence for some reason when it comes to the hunting, because I'm never confident. I'm always, I just do what I, I do what I know someone needs to do to have success. And I just 
run that playbook day in, day out, every single day. And that continues into season and through season. And if you just do that, it will come together. So I'm confident that I'm going to run the playbook until a deer hits the ground or the season ends. That's the only thing I'm really confident about is my ability to keep the head down and just keep keep going. Uh, Like I said, though, it is going to be a very fun season because, like you said, there's so much more wood like true woodsmanship involved this season compared to past where I was extremely glassing and trail cam heavy because I was trying to find the biggest of the big bucks around. Whereas this year, you know, it's, I just truly feel a little more immersed in the ecosystem when I'm scouting. And I I feel like I'll feel the same when I'm hunting, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot of traveling for me this year, mostly in state here, but a wide range of stuff, a wide range of terrains and habitats. And like, I'm, you know, I've, I've got, so I averaged it out. I'll be hunting an average of three full three full uninterrupted days a week, a minimum throughout the entire season. And so, you know, almost half the week, you know, you include driving to and from, it's just say half the week. So I'm going to spend half of every week living out of my truck for the next three months, which is kind of daunting, kind of exciting. It's kind of probably not going to be the most fun at times, but I've got a lot of a lot of food meal prepped up. I've got gear organized. I've got everything ready to go uh, to just whitetail bumming around Missouri this year and see what happens. So <laughs> it's exciting. I'm, I'm definitely excited to see what happens. I'm intrigued to see what the pressure is going to be like. I've heard many horror stories. I've heard some silver linings from some guys, but uh, that's a big variable right now is hunting pressure. I don't, I've seen some other guys out scouting. I haven't seen anyone uh, hitting it nearly the way that I have been this summer, but that's really not to be expected when it's been 105 degrees here. So yeah, I'm excited. We will see how it unfolds, but I think it's it's going to be fun and definitely a lot of valuable lessons taught this season. Yeah, I think it will be for sure, man. I think that's a great way to end this thing. Uh, thanks for jumping on. When you kill, <laughs> I'll be the confident guy for a second. When you kill, we will have to do another podcast to just give an update on that. Knock on wood. Hopefully I didn't jinx you. Yeah, well, I'll knock down a doe or something at least. So <laughs> There we go. All right, doe kill podcast. But all right, man, thanks for hopping on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jake. It's always fun. All right, everybody, that is a wrap for today's show. Thank you for listening. If you could, please head over to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and a written review. See you next time. Thank you.